Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Hey, uh, today we're talking about uh, what it takes to be a hero. And here's the deal. In our culture, being a hero is a, it's a big deal. Um, this is the reason why half the movies that are out right now are either Marvel or DC. It's just, we're obsessed with heroes as a culture. This is why even our kids love dressing up as heroes for Halloween. Um, at, least, at least most kids do. Um, our our three-year-old anchor this past Halloween wanted to dress up as Spider-Man, which I thought was a pretty great idea. So we got the costume and then the wheels started turning. I was like, wait a second. If, if anchor is going to dress up as Spider-Man, our whole family, we could be the Avengers. You know what I mean? So I'm like, Anchor could be Spider-Man. Our six-year-old Judah, he could be Iron Man. I obviously would be Star-Lord. My wife could be Gamora. Like, this is going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Or because of Spider-Man, you know, we could do the whole multiverse thing. We could all be Spider-Man like the wheels are turning. So all I have to do is pitch this idea to my six-year-old Judah. So I give him the pitch. I think it's pretty convincing. And Judah says, no. So here's what my kids dress up as for Halloween. Spider-Man and a ghost. And a ghost. By the way, when, I went, when Judah said he wanted to be a ghost, I was like, dude, you could be the ghost of Iron Man. And he was like, nah, I want to have a sheet on my face. That's what I want to be for Halloween. But listen, the story doesn't end there. A few months later, it was Judah's birthday. And guess what he wanted the theme of his party to be? Spider-Man. Yeah, kids are, kids are devious. And listen, it just goes to show no matter who you are, even Judah, there's something in us that's just attracted to heroes. And I think it's this. I think it's that everyone wants to be the hero of their own story, right? Even adults. Now, I don't mean that we're all going to want to dress up as a hero for Halloween. What I mean is this. When you think about your life, you probably don't imagine yourself as the villain, Right? Or, or, or even the best friend. Like something in us deep down, when we think about our lives, we go, I would love to be, I hope I have what it takes to be the hero. Because what does the hero do? The hero faces an obstacle. Normally that obstacle is bigger than them. It's this thing that no one else can defeat. And yet against all the odds, the hero overcomes. The hero saves the day. We look at our lives and we look, uh, we look at our obstacles and the things that we face day in and day out. And we go, I hope I have what it takes to overcome. I hope I have what it takes to be the hero and to defeat the obstacles in my life. And listen, even if you're not a Christian, even if you don't follow Jesus, you know what it's like to face obstacles, face obstacles that are bigger than you. Like maybe, maybe for you, the obstacle you're facing is uncontrolled anger, that no matter what you do, you just can't seem to get it under control and you blow up at your kids or your family, or maybe, maybe the obstacle you're facing is crippling anxiety and it sits on your chest and you can't be free of it, or maybe it's an addiction, an addiction you've been hiding, an addiction you don't want anyone to know about, no matter how hard you try, you can't overcome. And, and come on, let's, let's be real for a second. Even if you're a follower of Jesus, even if you've been following him for a long time, we still have obstacles that we face. I mean, maybe it's selfish ambition, or maybe it's people pleasing, or maybe it's a sin, a secret sin that you've never told anyone about, and you don't want anyone to know about it, because after all, 
what people think of you. They can't know that you actually struggle with this. And so we have these obstacles that we hope we can, we can overcome. And then when we hear stories or see movies like Rudy or Gladiator, we get inspired. We're like, well, maybe, maybe I can do that. And, and it's the reason why even if you haven't grown up in church, you're probably familiar with the story we're going to talk about today. It's the story of David and Goliath. This is the classic underdog story, right? A kid defeats a giant. I mean, all the odds are stacked against him, right? No one thinks he's going to win. And yet in spite of all of it, David emerges the hero, right? He overcomes. He's, he's, he's this incredible warrior after it's done. And so we look at the story of David and Goliath, and we look at it like a blueprint of how to be the hero, right? It's like, well, if David could defeat the giant, I've got obstacles so I can be like David and I can be the hero of my own life. But, but what if we're reading the story wrong? Like what if, even though that sounds great, what if that's not actually what happened 3,000 years ago? So here's what I wanna do today. I wanna take a fresh look at a really familiar story. And I want us in the room to be thinking about the obstacles that we're facing, thinking about the giants in our lives that we can't seem to overcome. And then I want to talk about what it actually takes to be the hero. So here's a little bit of context to the story of David and Goliath. We've been, we've been walking through the Jesus Storybook Bible, and it actually starts 4,000 years ago when God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a mighty nation. And despite all the obstacles in the way of that, Abraham actually has a son, and that son has another son, and then that son has 12 sons, and these 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. And eventually, these 12 tribes grow into a mighty nation, and they finally settle in the promised land, the land that God had promised to them. And they ended up becoming a mighty nation in, in what is modern-day Israel. Now, this mighty nation, Israel, as, as you can imagine, anytime there's a mighty nation, there's always another nation that wishes they were the mighty nation. And sure enough, Israel had one of these enemies. This was like the arch nemesis of Israel. It was a people group that they kept running into over and over again called the Philistines. Now, the Philistines were seafaring people that came from Crete, and they settled along the Mediterranean coast in what is now modern-day Gaza Strip. And these people, the Philistines, they kept attacking the Israelites, and the Israelites kept attacking the Philistines. And on and on it went, and neither was able to get the upper hand. In other words, no matter how hard Israel tried, they could never drive away the Philistines. And no matter how hard the Philistines tried, they could never overcome the Israelites. And then one day, the Philistines had an idea. They said, hey, instead of trying to overcome Israel, because we're not able to do that, what if we divided the country in half? It's kind of a divide and conquer strategy. And so the Philistines gather up all their troops and they begin marching to the center of Israel with a plan to divide them in half when Israel is unexpected. But Israel finds out about this. And so as the troops of the Philistine army are marching up, they get to a, an enormous valley called the Valley of Elah and they settle on the southern ridge. And yet meeting them was the Israelite army and they settled on the northern ridge of this huge beautiful valley. And now both of these armies are on either ridge of this valley and they are deadlocked because if you go down into the valley, then you're going to be exposed and the other 
army is going to make short work of you. And so they're both standing there. Neither one is giving, and both are hoping the other army makes a mistake. And as they're deadlocked, a mighty warrior from the Philistine army walks down into the valley. And he issues a challenge. It's a challenge called single combat. This was an ancient warfare strategy where, um, where one person from an army challenges another person from the other army to duke it out. And instead of both countries shedding a lot of blood and thousands on this side dying and thousands on this side dying, single combat went like this. Listen, your guy faces our guy and whoever wins that battle wins the war. And you've, you've probably guessed who the warrior from the Philistine army is. It's Goliath. And Goliath is massive. I mean, huge. Scholars debate on how tall he was. They think anywhere from seven feet tall to 10 feet tall. This guy was massive. And not only that, he had a coat of armor on him that weighed 125 pounds. Now, when I was in high school, I weighed 125 pounds. Okay, doesn't say a lot about me. Says a lot about this guy, Goliath. Not only that, he had a spear. The tip of his spear weighed 15 pounds. Can you imagine? Attaching a dumbbell to the end of a spear. That's how strong this guy was. And he goes down into the valley, and he looks up at the northern ridge of the army of Israel, and this is what Goliath says. He said, why do you come out and line up for battle? In other words, come on. What are you even doing up there? You're not moving. Am I not a Philistine, right? Aren't I the bad guy? Are you not servants of Saul after all? Aren't you a mighty nation? You have your own king. It's King Saul. Choose a man and have him come down to me. You know how this works. Your guy faces my guy. And look what it says. On hearing the Philistines' word, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. I mean, can you imagine Thousands of young men lined up for battle on the Israelite army. One Philistine steps down, and they're all paralyzed. And this happened day after day after day. Look at this. It says, for 40 days, 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. So imagine you're part of the Israelite army. You wake up in the morning. The sun is rising. You begin making your breakfast, and you hear the voice of the giant down in the valley. You're terrified. And then that night, the sun is setting and you line up for battle and who comes down, but it's Goliath again, challenging you to a battle. And the next morning and the next night and the next day and the next day and over and over again. And the people of God, the Israelites stand there dismayed, terrified, paralyzed, almost admitting defeat. And listen, this, this, this happens to us all the time. I mean, I mean, you know what it's like to face the same obstacle over and over again because you swore that last time was going to be the last time, but here you are giving in again. Like you promised that you weren't going to stay late at work again, but now here you are missing your kid's bedtime again. You promised you weren't going to blow up at the kids, but they just don't listen to you. And so your anger burns out of control and you shout at them again. You promised yourself you weren't going to drink. You promised yourself you were done with that. But life is so overwhelming and no one understands what you're going through. And there's no comfort except at the bottom of the bottle. And so you drink again. 
You promised yourself you wouldn't look. You promised yourself you wouldn't touch. You promised yourself that last time was going to be the last time, and yet here you are giving in to him again, giving in to her again, giving in to the pixels on your screen again. And you hear the voice of your giant day after day, and you're frozen and paralyzed. And for 40 days, the Israelite army stood on the northern ridge of the valley of Allah, and they heard Goliath's voice, and no one dared challenge him. Until, until a teenage shepherd showed up. See, David was 15 years old, and he was the youngest in his family, which means all of his older brothers, who were much bigger, were off fighting for mighty Israel in the Israelite army. But someone had to stay back and tend the sheep, and so that responsibility fell to David. And while David is tending his father's sheep, his dad goes up to David and goes, David, come on, your brothers are out there fighting for mighty Israel. The least you can do is show them some support. Would you just bring them some food? So David shows up to bring him some food, and he expects that he's going to see this battle happening near the valley of Allah, and instead what he sees is thousands of Israelites lined up on the northern ridge, not doing anything. And this is what David says. He starts talking to the people uh, around them. As he was talking with them, Goliath the Philistine, champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and we know what that sounds like, and David heard it. And everyone else is frozen in fear. But look at what David says. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? I love that, by the way. And it's going to get a little PG-13. So buckle up. So he says, removes this disgrace from Israel. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Okay, David, that's what's up, man. Using circumcision in your smack talk. Like, uh, that's a new one. Wow. You know? And so he's, he's talking smack about the Philistine, and then David's oldest brother shows up. And I love this next part. To me, it's kind of like, this is, how you, this is how you know that Scripture is real. Look at what David's oldest brother says. Hey, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? Right? It's like, I mean, you got to love sibling rivalry. He comes out and he's like, aw, hey, everybody, look, poor widow David, where your widow sheep? Come on, get out of here. But David is unfazed. In fact, he goes straight to King Saul. He says, King Saul, let me fight the Philistine. And King Saul looks at him and he says, no. Um, no, there's no way. Hey, listen, David, I appreciate it and all, but this guy is a mighty warrior. He's been training for battle since he was your age, and you are your age, you know? It's like, dude, you don't stand a chance. But David doesn't back down. He says, listen, I know you think of me just like I'm a little shepherd boy, but while I've been a shepherd tending my father's sheep, there have been lions and bears that have come and taken the sheep. And when that happened, I chased down the lion and I chased down the bear and I struck them both and I took the sheep from them. And when they turned on me, I grabbed the lion by its mane, I grabbed the bear by its hair and I killed them. And listen, I am way more afraid of the lion and the bear than I am of this Philistine. Let me go fight him. And look at how he wraps it up. He says, the Lord, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul looks at him and says, okay, 
I hope you're right. I hope God is with you. But just in case he's not, let me help you out, okay? And this is what Saul does for him. Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. In other words, he said, hey, here's the deal. If you are gonna go fight this giant, he's got a coat of armor that weighs 125 pounds. You're gonna need armor, and I've got good news for you. I've got the best of the best. This is my armor. There is no armor better in all of Israel. After all, this is the armor I've used to win many battles. So listen, David, if you wanna go fight him, you need armor, and I've got this just for you. And then look at what David does. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. What? Hold on, David, 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 come on. You're about to fight a giant. He's huge, he's enormous, probably not gonna win, but at least with armor, you're gonna have like a fighting chance. You know what I mean? It's like, why would you turn down the armor? This doesn't make sense. But David says no to the armor, and he says yes to this, a sling. <laughs> He's going to fight a giant with this. And so he starts marching down the northern ridge of the Valley of Allah, and the giant sees him, and he goes, hold on, are you kidding me? Israel, this this is who you chose to fight. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna kill him so fast. I thought you were gonna like give me someone to chat. This little kid, and he starts calling down curses on David. He's like, oh man, this guy's gonna get, die so fast, it's not even funny. And then David responds. And before I show you what David says, because it's just, I just gotta say, this speech is epic, okay? If you've never memorized, even if you're not a follower of Jesus and you've never memorized scripture, you should memorize this speech. You'd impress a lot of your friends, okay? Here's what David said. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and I will cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Are you kidding me? I mean... Take that, William Wallace. Like, that is a speech, you know? So, so he goes down. He sees Goliath. He takes the sling in his stand. He loads it. He loads it with a stone, and the stone flies directly towards Goliath, hits him between the eyes. The giant falls to the ground. David runs over to Goliath. He takes Goliath's own sword, and he kills him with it. And the Israelite army on the northern ridge sees this, and they begin to celebrate, and they start marching down the hill victorious, and the Philistine army runs scared with their tail tucked between their legs, because David, the shepherd boy, overcame the giant. Isn't that incredible? I mean, we hear stories like this, and we're like, this is amazing. I mean, I mean, I want to be the hero just like David. Like, I got to defeat the giants in my life. And if David could do it, then so can I. And so we start looking for parallels in our story. It's like, are you facing an obstacle that's bigger than you? Yes. Does that obstacle sometimes feel like a giant? Absolutely. Does the voice of this giant leave you frozen and paralyzed in fear? You bet it does. And so I need to be like 
David and I need to be the hero. It's time to step up and it's time to be the hero, right? Wrong. Wrong. It sounds good. That's just not what actually happened 3,000 years ago. Listen, David is not the hero. God is. David's not the hero of this story. God is. And if David's not the hero, that means neither am I and neither are you. We're not the hero. And listen, because you might have missed it. David didn't even think he was the hero. You remember when he was talking to King Saul saying, hey, I, let me convince you to let me go fight Goliath. You remember what he said? He said, hey, the Lord rescued me from the lion, not me. The Lord rescued me from the bear. And so guess who's going to rescue me from the Philistine? The Lord, because God was the hero. God was the hero. God's going to be the hero. You remember his speech? It's all over his speech. Look at what David said. These are his own words. I come against you in whose name? My name? Nope. In the name of the Lord Almighty. And then he says this, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. And then when we're done here, you know what people are going to say? There's a David in Israel. Nope. Here's what they're going to say. They're going to say there is a God in Israel because God's the hero, not me. It's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. Wait, who saves? That's right. The Lord saves. Why? Because the battle is the Lord's and he will give you all into our hands. David was under no illusion. David understood. I am not the hero. I am not the hero. God is. And the same way God brought victory through David, a thousand years after David, God would bring victory through Jesus. See, because David was born in Bethlehem, and a thousand years later, another boy would be born in Bethlehem, and that was Jesus. David was anointed king at a young age, and at his very birth, Jesus was anointed king. And just like David... Jesus would face a giant. It was the giant. It wasn't just a Philistine. It wasn't just a political rival. It was the giant of sin and death. And without any armor, Jesus would defeat this giant. And I love the way the Jesus Storybook Bible puts it. This is the way, this is the way they end um, in the story of David and Goliath. Many years later, many years later, God would send his people another young hero to fight for them and to save them. But this hero would fight the greatest battle the world has ever known. See, <laughs> David's not the hero. I'm not the hero. Jesus is the hero. He's the one who defeats the giant. Not me, not you, not 12 stone, not your pastor, not your small group. God's the hero. But sometimes... We pretend like we're the hero, and when we act like we're the hero, we end up looking a lot like the Israelites. <laughs> we end up being self-reliant like King Saul, or we end up being scared like the Israelite army. In other words, when we try to be the hero, we tend to armor up or give up. That's our MO when we try to be the hero. You know what I mean by armor up, right? I mean, hey, if, if, if I'm going to defeat this giant, then I'm going to need to fight it myself. I need to put on some armor. 
I just need to try really hard. You know what I need? I need more self-control. You know what I need? I need more willpower. I need to read some self-help books. I just need to buckle down. I gotta try really hard. I mean, after all, it, it's, it's, it's all dependent on me, so I just gotta work hard. I gotta pull myself up by my bootstraps. The only way this giant's going down is if I take some armor and I do it myself, and we armor up because we think we're the hero, and the hero's gotta have armor. And all the pressure is on us to defeat the giants in our life. And sometimes the pressure gets so great that instead of armoring up like King Saul, we just give up. <laughs> I mean, that's what the Israelite army did. They stood on the northern ridge and they're seeing this giant. And I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure if you were to overhear some of the conversations, they'd probably sound like, man, why bother? Come on. Who of us could defeat this giant? None of us could. Are you kidding me? You know what we should do? We might as well just get used to being a Philistine because clearly they're going to win. Clearly Goliath is the warrior. Clearly he's the one that's going to win the day. Not me, not us, not you, not him. Okay, it's like none of us are going to do this. So you know what? We might as well give up because after all, everyone struggles. I mean, everyone's got issues. I mean, who, come on, who doesn't look at porn? Everyone looks at porn. Why is that such a big, I mean, why, why try to fight it? Who actually stays pure until they're married? No one does that. Why would I even try? Hey, who doesn't struggle with anxiety? Who isn't crippled by anxiety? This is a way of life now. Come on, we're just gonna be Philistines. We might as well give up. Because there's no way I'm defeating this giant. There's no way you're defeating this giant. And if I'm supposed to be the hero, well, then I guess I'm just gonna give up. So that's what we do. But that's not what David did. Because <laughs> David didn't think he was the hero, so he, he acted differently. And so if you're sitting here and you're facing a giant and you've got this thing that's crippling you and paralyzing you, and maybe, maybe you walked in here today and you've just already given up. It's like, why bother fighting it? Everyone struggles. What's the big deal? If you're tempted to give up, or maybe you've already given up, Here's, here's the question for you for today. Whose voice are you listening to? Whose voice are you listening to? It's so interesting. Thousands of strong, capable young men fighting for the Israelite army stood at the northern ridge. And they stood there paralyzed by one voice. Goliath. Down in the valley. And they stood defeated. But isn't it interesting? One voice <laughs> paralyzed an entire army. But one voice defeated the giant. Don't underestimate the power of one voice. Because listen, we are facing an enemy. Do you have an enemy? Yes. Is your enemy bigger than you? Absolutely. But your enemy is not bigger than God. And don't miss that. See, I think it's fascinating that Goliath never actually fought an Israelite. All he had to do was raise his voice. And your enemy and my enemy, Satan, doesn't have to defeat you with his strength if he can paralyze you with his voice. And we know what his voice sounds like. Shame. <laughs> Discouragement. Fear. 
you'll never get over this. You'll never win. This is just the way life is. Sometimes our friends even join in with their voice, right? Come on, everyone struggles. No one actually does that. Sometimes even our own voice joins in. But there's another voice. It's the voice of God. And so maybe you're looking at a giant of shame. And you already know what that giant's voice sounds like. Well, what does God's voice sound like? I think it sounds like Romans 8.1 that says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what God's voice sounds like. Maybe you're facing the giant of anxiety. What does God's voice sound like? I think it kind of sounds like Philippians 4, 6 through 7. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, because there's a lot of things to be anxious about. So in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which is what we long for, the peace of God that transcends understanding, which means it doesn't make sense, because sometimes our anxiety doesn't make sense. So isn't it good news that the peace of God doesn't make sense either? And that peace from God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That's what the voice of God sounds like. See, listen, I already know what the enemy's voice sounds like. I want to know what God's voice sounds like. That's why scripture is such a big deal to us. And so, and so maybe part of listening to God's voice is simply reading scripture. Maybe you don't have a habit of doing that. And maybe starting today, you go, you know what? I'm going to carve out a few minutes and I'm going to listen to God's voice instead of the voice of the enemy because I already know his voice. I want to know what God's voice sounds like. Maybe you're already reading scripture. What would it look like for you to actually take some of those verses, some of those moments that you've had with God and commit them to memory? What if you had them at the ready every time your giant spoke to you? Maybe it means writing out who your giant is or what your giant is and then putting scripture next to it. That's what I've done. <laughs> down, in our, um, down in our basement, we have a whiteboard and I, um, I, I wrote out three of the giants that I've been facing recently. Um, you know, because you thought you were the only one with giants. Um, so these were giants I wrote down two years ago, but they're still ones that I battle. Uh, it's the giant of selfish ambition, the giant of greed, and the giant of people-pleasing. And I already know what their voice sounds like. But I don't know what God's voice sounds like. So next to each of these giants, I've written scripture that goes along with it. So right next to selfish ambition, I have 1 Peter 5, 6, which we talked about last week. PK talked about it, where, where, where Paul or Peter writes, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. So every time that giant begins to speak, I go, hey, listen, God elevating me, that's up to God. My responsibility is to humble myself. That's what the voice of God sounds like. Or greed. It's a verse in Luke 12, it's the words of Jesus, where Jesus says, watch out, because greed will sneak up on you. You're doing good, you're fine, you're content, then all of a sudden greed comes out of nowhere. And Jesus says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. But Jesus, sometimes I think my life does consist in the abundance of my possessions, because have you seen the abundance of their possessions? Why can't I have the abundance of their possessions? Why do I have to have the abundance of my possessions? And in the middle of this giant speaking, Jesus says, listen, you know this, your life is so much more than what you have. That's what the voice of God sounds like. People pleasing is a fun one. Um, you know, every time I, I have an opportunity to, to preach, 
there's a giant that looms around the corner. It's the giant of people-pleasing. His voice sounds like, I hope they like me. <laughs> I hope I do good. I hope they think I'm funny. I, I hope they think I'm smart. I, I hope I get their approval. That's what the voice of the enemy sounds like. So what does God's voice sounds like? Right next to that, I've, I've written uh, a few verses. One of them is 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, where Paul writes, we speak as those approved by God, which is interesting because normally I'm looking for other people's approval, but when you have God's approval, you don't need other people's approval. So we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. And then literally it says this, we are not trying to please people, Steve. Okay, that's what my version says, has my name in it. Steve, we are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. So not only do I have that written down on the whiteboard every time I get ready to speak, I call that verse to memory and I say it over and over and over again. So we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel because we are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. Because you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you with the word of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. That's why scripture matters. Because we already know what the voice of the enemy sounds like. I want to know what God's voice sounds like. So whose voice? Whose voice are you listening to? And so if you, if you struggle with giving up, that's the question. Now, if you struggle with armoring up, with just trying harder, then the question is, whose strategy are you following? You know, for the record, um, Saul had a really good strategy. If you're going to face a giant, the, you at least need some armor, right? I mean, that makes sense. It makes sense to us. Like, if you're going to be the hero, if you're going to win the day, then you need to be outfitted like one. And it makes sense. Unless you're not the hero. Well, then the armor doesn't really make sense. And that's why David turned it down, because he didn't need it. Because he knew that he wasn't the hero. The Lord who rescued me from the uh, paw of the lion, the paw of the bear is going to rescue me. So he turned down the armor, and that doesn't make sense. <laughs> he chose a sling. And listen, we live in a world of armor and shields, and sometimes God's advice, God's strategy looks like a sling when we're facing a giant, and it doesn't make sense, right? Jesus said, if you want to be first, you need to be last. Well, God, that doesn't make sense. He said, hey, if you want to be great, you know what you need to do? Yeah, I need to step on people around me and do whatever it takes to get ahead. No, you need to serve. What? That doesn't make sense. God's strategy doesn't make sense. Hey, if you're facing a giant, maybe it's a sin that you can't seem to overcome. Maybe it's a sin you're really embarrassed about. Maybe it's a sin you hope no one finds out about. What do you need to do? Well, we live in a world that says, you know what you need to do? I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to armor up. You need to try harder. You need to exercise more willpower. And don't you dare let anyone know that you're struggling. No, they can't know. So the moment someone gets close to you, you know what you need to do? Bunk, put on the armor. That's what you need to do. But you can't let them know, especially, hey, come on, especially if you're a Christian, don't you dare let people know that you struggle. Don't you dare let them know about this sin that you should already be passed by now, right? Come on, you need to put on armor. That's what you need to do. 
Well, God's strategy sounds a lot different because you're not the hero. Because you're not the one taking down the giant. So in a world that says you need to wear more armor, you know what God's strategy is? Put the armor down and confess. That's right. You, you need to tell God that you're struggling, and then you even need to tell other people that you're struggling. Put the armor down and confess. And I know it doesn't make sense. I get it. <laughs> but you know what's interesting is the one who wore the armor in the battle between David and Goliath is the one who fell that day. See, listen, God's strategy doesn't make sense, but it's the way that the giant falls. It was about, um, it was about 10 years ago that I realized that I had uh, an issue with lying. And I know everyone lies. I get it. Um, most people lie every now and then. I was lying every day. And normally when you lie, you lie to either get out of trouble or you lie to make yourself look better. And I was just lying to make myself look better. And so I, um, it was kind of image management, if you will. It was, I'm just going to gloss over some details. It was never big things. It was really small things. I'm just going to gloss over some things that make me look a little bit better. And there are even some things I lied about that make me look like a better Christian as well. And so that's what I need to do. I just need to clink, put on the armor, and I just need to lie a little bit more so that no one, no one finds out. Well, the lying was kind of getting out of control. I was lying to people I had just met. I was lying to people at church. I was lying to friends. I was even lying to my wife, repeatedly. And finally, one day, because I'm a follower of Jesus, I was praying. I said, God, I got a giant. This thing is huge. It's out of control, and it's really draining. Because you know when you lie, you got to like lie to cover up the lie to make sure that your story matches up. And so it was just getting exhausting keeping up with all this. And so I was like, God, I need help getting rid of this giant. What do I do? And God said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to confess to the people you lied to that you lied to them. And I was like, well, I'm not going to do that. So <laughs> how about... Let's workshop it a bit. God, that was a great first draft. Let's try something. Let's try something else. And I resisted it. And so finally, I made, a, I made a deal with God, which is not a good idea. Don't do that. But here was my deal with God. I said, God, here's the deal. How about this? From now on, I just won't lie, okay? Clink, put on the armor. I just won't lie. But if I do, which I won't, but if I do, then from now on, whenever I lie, I'll confess. But I'm not going to lie, so it's fine. And my lie-free streak lasted less than a day. So that was fun. So I had to start confessing. Hey, I lied to you. I said this. That's not true. I'm sorry. I remember I, had to, um, I was teaching a new believers class. And I lied to one of the guys in the class. And God said, you need to tell him that you lied. I was like, I can't do that. Come on. I'm a pastor. And he's a new believer. What's he going to think about Christians if he finds out a pastor just lied to him? Besides, God, it was such a small lie. Oh, my gosh, it was so small. All he said was he wakes up at 5 a.m. And I know that I wake up at 6 a.m., but I wanted to relate to him a little bit better. So I just told him that I wake up sometime between 5.30 and 6 a.m. And technically, 6 a.m. is between 5.30 and 6, right? So why do I need to confess to this guy? And it was gut-wrenching, and it was embarrassing, And it may not seem like a big deal to you. But it was a huge deal to me. I felt like my job was on the line. 
I had to confess to friends. I had to confess to Catherine multiple times. It was awful and it was gut-wrenching and it feels a lot like you feel when you think about confessing the sin that you don't want to confess. That's how it felt. I hated it. Oh, I, I hated confessing. It was so embarrassing. I mean, I, like I hated it so much that eventually I just stopped lying, you know? Which, which is like kind of the point. <laughs> huh. It's almost like God's strategy worked and the giant fell. See, when you think you have to be the hero, then confessing makes no sense because the hero doesn't do anything wrong. The hero's never messed up. But when you recognize God is the hero, then you take strategies that don't make sense, like putting the armor down and confessing. So I don't know what your giant is. But if you're frozen and you're paralyzed, maybe what it looks like is to ask the question, whose voice are you listening to? And maybe, maybe you start listening to God's voice, reading scripture, memorizing, writing it down. Maybe you've been armoring up and it's time you confess. And last thing I wanna say, and then we're gonna wrap up. The Israelites waited 40 days days. You don't have to. You can start today. Today, literally tonight, if you've been frozen in fear, you can show up to Holy Week prayer where we're going to elevate the voice of God. You can set an alarm today to wake up early tomorrow and to begin reading God's word. Today, you can go home, write out your giants, and begin speaking against those giants, not with your voice, because you're not the hero, but with God's voice. You can do that today. If you've got a sin that no one knows about, and you, you, you swear you're going to take that thing to your grave, and you've been armoring up, and it's exhausting, God would say, hey, you can confess today. You can confess today. And I know, at least for guys... There's some guys listening right now that are like, all right, I, I hear you, I'll confess, but I'm not gonna confess today, and here's why. Because if I confess today to my wife, then she's gonna know I'm only doing it because the pastor said that, and I can't do that, so instead what I need to do is I need to let it settle. I'll let the message settle. And then in a few days, I'll confess to her, or I'll confess to him, or I'll confess to them, or I'll confess to my small group. Hey, stop armoring up. You're not the hero. You can confess today. Today. Maybe for some of you, it's walking down front to our prayer team. Maybe you start by confessing to them, hey, here's a sin I've been struggling with. Here's a sin I didn't want anyone to know about. Because here's the beautiful thing about confession. Confession brings God's future victory into the present. It's saying, hey, listen, I know I struggle with lying right now, but one day this giant's gonna fall. So I'm gonna let you in early before the victory parade, okay? That's what confession does. That's what David did when he ran down the hill. He looked at the giant and said, giant, you're going down today. And he said this to the giant while the giant was still standing. Confession brings God's future victory into the present. And you can do that today. 
Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.